Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And what a week it's been. We have a full, full podcast, a lot of stuff to talk about. So we're going to jump right into the big news from Thursday. Three years in the making, the science standards debate is settled. Yeah, the uh, Senate Education Committee passed the full slate of science standards on Thursday, uh, Kevin, and that includes approving all proposed academic science standards, as well as including all supporting content, including references to climate change, Mm -hmm. leaving those intact. Now, I know that earlier this week, members of the House, the more conservative members of the House, were pushing for nullification. I don't think this is what they had in mind, but this basically nullifies the House Education Committee's vote from a couple of weeks ago to remove one standard that referenced air pollution uh, and fossil fuels and to remove all supporting content, pages and pages and pages of references to a number of scientific topics and theories and definitions, including climate change. But Senate Ed basically got the last word here, right? Senate Ed got the last word, and that was the way we kind of figured it was going to be because of the rules process. If one house decides to adopt these standards in full, that overrides whatever happens in the other chamber. So the Senate had had veto authority in, in this and decided to keep the standards in full. And, and the reason that the the debate kind of centered on this whole supporting content. And the reason that that's important is that this is sort of the language that educators use as sort of a baseline for how they're going to teach and how they're going to prepare kids for tests. Uh, You heard in the debate in the the Senate committee on Thursday a pretty impassioned uh, case being made by Jeannie Ward-Angleking, a retired teacher, saying, look, as a as a beginning teacher, I know that I use that content. I know that that is important, that the standards and the content are important. It really kind of sets the roadmap for teachers in the field. And may go even further than that. You know, after the vote, I spoke to Jonathan Oppenheimer with the Idaho Conservation League, and they've been following this issue closely for three years. And his his take on it is that for a lot of teachers, especially when you're dealing with something as sensitive as climate change, Teachers in maybe a rural community in a, in a small school district, they may need the cover, the protection that comes with the language from the state uh, standards and the state supporting content in order to do their jobs. He, he felt like it was absolutely essential to have the supporting content in full, and, and the committee wound up uh, agreeing with, uh, well, not just him, but agreeing with the panel of educators who proposed the language in the first place, uh, agreeing with the overwhelming public sentiment on this was to adopt the standards in, in full. But still a pretty dramatic vote. You still had the Senate Education Committee not just override the House Education Committee, but you had members of the Senate Education Committee override leadership of the committee. You know, Chairman Dean Mortimer, Vice Chairman Stephen Thane both voted against adopting the standards in full. It seemed like where they wanted to go was to adopt the standards but not adopt the supporting content. That never got to a vote because the motion to adopt everything, standards and supporting content, that passed and that that, that closed the deal. Yeah, that passed, I think, 6-3 was six, the final three. vote. Um, and we talked about that a little bit. But what a difference, Kevin, two weeks make. You would have never known that the Senate and House Education Committees held public hearings over the same topics because they were vastly different. Yeah. The Senate employed uh, a lighter touch. 
uh, for sure, uh, level heads uh, prevailed. Everyone was basically uh, allowed to speak, and there were only sort of gentle reminders uh, about the length of testimony. But no one was gaveled down. Uh, no one was cut off for bringing up climate change or global warming in the Senate. It stands in stark contrast to a bizarre couple of days' worth of hearings out of the House Education Committee where a geologist was gaveled down, mm -hmm. where students and scientists and professors were cut off from speaking multiple times uh, for bringing up climate change. Yeah, it was a very low-key procedure in the Senate, not just the public hearing that you talked about from last week, but even the committee's deliberations on Thursday, because there was no additional public testimony taken on Thursday. This was the committee's day to discuss what to do and to make motions and to debate as a committee. The debate that I thought was really interesting, it really stood out to me and I think to you as we were talking about it before, Carl Crabtree, a first-term senator uh, from north-central Idaho, uh, spoke and said, you know, when I'm on the farm, when I'm on the ranch and I have, you know, you know, sick livestock, I don't try to fix this myself. I go to the vet. I go to the experts. I, I get some professional advice. And he felt like, well, this is what the state has been doing for three years, that they sought professional advice. They went to science educators and asked them to drop the language and asked them to redraw the language. And, and then, you know, the third year of rewrites. Yeah, his, his take on it is, this is the process. This is how we do things, and I believe in the process. And ultimately, uh, five of his colleagues believed in the process as well. So after, after three years, uh, the science standards are on the books. And now we go to the next chapter, which is training teachers and, and getting teachers up to speed on how to teach to those standards. When I talked to Chris Taylor, the Boise school administrator who's been kind of living and breathing this issue for the past three years, he said he's, he's really looking forward to that that aspect of it, you know, getting teachers teaching to these standards. So um, a long process, sometimes a, a contentious process, sometimes an ugly process, but the uh, process is uh, is finally complete. It, it made national news. Uh, there were some national stories this week and over the last two weeks. But even Chairman Dean Mortimer, uh, the Republican chair of the Senate Education Committee, who, as you mentioned, was on the other side of the vote, he actually vote, He was actually expressing support uh, for removing all the supporting, supporting content, those pages right. and pages of documents. Even after the vote, Chairman Mortimer stood up and said, I think this is an example of the process playing out and, and working. Mm -hmm. uh, so even he uh, admitted that this was a long process. Uh, it was complicated at times. Uh, but he seemed satisfied with how it, how it worked. And, and he and, wasn't and, even on the prevailing side. And, and even that was a lighthearted moment. Well, sure. You know, uh, after, the, uh, after the vote, Chairman Mortimer said that this is an example of the, re the Republican process uh, at work. And I think he meant Republican with a small r, uh, procedural, not party. Uh, he was chided... Uh, Gently and jokingly by uh, Sheree Buckner-Webb, one of the two Democrats on the committee, you know, saying, well, what do you mean Republican process? So even that, even after uh, probably one of the most closely watched votes you'll see in either education committee this year, even the members of the committee were able to kind of, you know, close the chapter, close the book, and, uh, and do it in a fairly uh, collegial, cordial, civil way. We talk a lot in a lot of circles about civil discourse. What you saw in Senate education, whether you, you like the outcome or not, this is a very civil, very uh, professional process. And, and 
And I think it reflects well on, on the committee. Yeah, you, I mean, what I saw was respect being shared mutually among the legislators and among the public who came to either testify or observe, as the case was uh, on Thursday. But mutual respect all the way around, regardless of how you feel about the policy decision, uh, certainly a respectful uh, mm-hmm. committee hearing process. And, and everybody, more or less, at least within the Senate Education Committee, seemed happy uh, with that process at the end. Right. Right. I think it was a process that I think they wanted to see some closure on. And, you know, now we move on to other topics. And there have been so many other topics this week. I mean, I, I kind of want to demand a recount. I mean, it seems like Monday morning we started with JFAC and the Budget Committee, but it seems like so much has happened this week that I, I want to go back and make sure that is that still this week? I, mean, I feel like I was a, you know, a young man um, when that school budget was A month was ago set. when Monday started, we, uh, we were both at the uh, – the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee, the big budget, the K-12 budget, and another example of a very uh, collegial, very, you know, very low-key and low-key process. I mean, $1.8 billion of uh, spending bills approved unanimously and with no dissent. I mean, it was a, it was a remarkably smooth process. Any other week, Kevin, as you know, this would have likely been uh, our top story. Uh, but the closest watched budget, uh, the most heavily scrutinized budget, are uh, the public school budgets. Together, they account for something like 48% of all state general fund spending. And, and like you said, they were set in less than an hour Monday morning. No debate, no competing proposals, no hard feelings. And yeah, $1.8 billion in state general fund spending is about to go out the door, assuming these budget bills uh, are signed into law. But let's go through some of the highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, JFAC, that's the Joint uh, Finance Appropriations Committee, the Joint Legislative Budget Committee. But JFAC approved a 5.9% increase in public school funding for next year. We're talking about the 2018-2019 school year. Uh, right at just about a $100 million increase in current funding levels over uh, the current year, and the largest factor driving that new spending, that new funding increase, is a fourth consecutive year of raises for educators and teachers under the career ladder mm-hmm. salary right. law. JFAC earmarked $41.7 million to go to teacher raises, and that's the biggest driver of this new budget, but there are a lot of different individual components in it right. as well, right? Right. I mean, there are a lot of different pieces, more money for technology, more money for uh, for school districts to help pay for uh, for for salary be- not for salary but for employee benefits for healthcare benefits. One thing that did kind of stand out to me as uh, the committee discussed these budgets and put money into several of these line items, the committee does want some more detail and yeah. they do want some more uh, data about what's happening with this money and what kind of outcomes uh, are we getting for this money, whether it's the literacy program, whether it's adding college and career advisors in the high schools, whether it's the advanced opportunities program. All of these programs are going to be subject to some independent review, some independent auditing. And you know, I'm kind of an audit guy. I, I like reading these uh, reports and I like reading the, these, uh, the, these data analyses. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah. The line items were not in jeopardy, and the way these sailed out of the uh, budget committee on Monday, it would be an absolute insurrection on one of the House floor, on either the House floor or the Senate floor, to see either of these bills in trouble. But you are seeing budget writers saying, "Look, we want to get some, 
we, we want some accountability. We want some sense of what sort of outcomes are we getting for the investments. Uh, that was a little bit of an underlying thread from, from Monday's hearing, I thought. I'm glad you picked up on that. And that's actually something I've also seen kind of simmering in the House Education Committee throughout the school year. Questions about accountability, questions about reporting requirements, and some disagreement among key lawmakers as to whether this is uh, a burden for school districts or whether this is a uh, measure of transparency that helps legislators, taxpayers, uh, and the general public find out how programs are working, where exactly we're spending our money, and whether or not the state is seeing a return on the investments within the state's largest budget. Interestingly, one kind of evaluation piece, uh, one kind of evaluation report that is yet to be fully considered uh, kind of served as a stumbling block for a funding proposal, and that was to expand funding, uh, to expand the new IRI pilot program, mm -hmm, right. the new uh, reading diagnostic tool. Uh, several school districts are piloting that right now, testing it out, uh, but JFAC held off on a request to expand funding for that, saying, hey, there's a new report, a new audit, basically, uh, of how this is being rolled out. And we right. haven't seen it yet, and we want to see it to see if these programs are working. So certainly oversight, evaluations, audits, basically finding out where our money is going and whether we're getting a return on that investment, big themes this right, year. Right, right, and, and something that obviously we write about a lot. I mean, when I wrote uh, a couple of months ago about some of these programs like Advanced Opportunities, like College and Career Advising, we've done the math. There's been a lot of money put into programs like this and others to try to uh, get students to continue their education after high school. So what you heard from the Budget Committee is, well, we're giving you the money and it's a couple of years in, what are we starting to see? What kind of results are we seeing? Uh, what kind of outcomes are we, are we getting out of this? So that was Monday's news out yeah. of JFAC. And then uh, we're back there. I was back there first thing Wednesday morning to watch JFAC take up the budget for the State Board of Education. And the big news out of that, the uh, JFAC really slashed into the proposal to create a higher education CEO, one of Governor Otter's uh, pet projects for the 2018 legislative session. The uh, Budget Committee did not fund the position, the $200,000 a year job. Uh, but what they did fund, and they funded it to a lesser degree, was a consultant study, some one-time money to look at what a CEO would do, what kind of savings could a CEO find by trying to trim and consolidate administrative functions at the universities. JFAC proposed a $250,000 study. The governor had asked for $500,000. So a big proposal, a big initiative from the governor is basically on life support. There you know, could be some funding for a consultant study. The creation of the position is pretty much all but dead at this point. And I want to give you some credit here. The last, I, I think, three out of the last four weeks on extra credit, you've basically made that prediction that uh, and because you've been talking with everybody from legislators to university officials uh, to gubernatorial candidates running for office right now, not a lot of support for creating the CEO position, especially at this time before the consultant study uh, has been put forward. But you basically predicted this and, and it has basically resulted in the last two weeks being a, a long funeral procession for uh, Otter's CEO, at least the position itself. Right. And the position, like I say, it's not officially completely 100% dead. Uh, there is still a bill to create that position. Uh, it could come before Senate education. That's where it's parked. It was printed. It was introduced. But there's been no hearing. Uh, Dean Mortimer said there's a good chance that there will be a hearing. But at the same time, he acknowledges 
time's running out on this legislative session. If they want to resolve uh, everything this session, wrap up, be gone a month from now, which is kind of the target date, yeah. uh, things have got to start moving. And this bill would have to move through both houses. Then JFAC would have to come back and fund it. I mean, theoretically, that could all happen if there's political will for it to happen. I've seen very little political will for it to occur. So, you know, it's like the Monty Python skit. We're not dead yet, but but it's more than a flesh wound. I mean, this thing's (laughs) been in trouble for several weeks, and I don't see that uh, changing anytime soon. Uh, Eight days ago, you asked Governor Otter about this at our We didn't have to ask. He brought it up right away. He He unsolicitedly said, this thing is in trouble, which, um, you know, took away one of the questions I was going to ask him. So I think he's seen the writing on the wall. It's pretty clear where JFAC is coming from. They want to get a study. They want to get a handle on what a CEO could do before hiring a CEO. Yeah, which we've talked about before would basically be uh, one of the highest paid positions in state government. Certainly it there would be are... the highest paid position in state government. Right, there are university, like university presidents and football coaches on campus that make more, but that's different. But this would essentially be the highest paid state government position. Yeah. And the legislature is essentially saying, not so fast. We're not just going to write a blank check before we really study the issue. Because lawmakers have had lingering questions about... Okay, so the whole point of this is maybe trying to find some back office efficiencies and reinvest that in the higher education system in a way that would benefit students or provide a pathway to continuing uh, students' education. But lawmakers have not had their questions answered about how much money this could save. And so we're seeing some real reluctance to just go ahead and write a blank check uh, for this proposal. Right. And and that's kind of where it stands at this point. So barring, again, you know, things can change, but barring another big reversal – Uh, I I cannot imagine that proposal going anywhere. We'll continue to watch it. This week was a big week on the budget front. But next week will be, too, in a a way, Kevin. We're not done uh, with budget hearings. The public school budget was one of the very first uh, budgets to be set, and I think that signals something in terms of priorities. Uh, But one of us will be back following uh, another key budget next week. What is it? A couple couple of them, them, yeah. State Superintendent Sherry Abarra will be before JFAC on Monday. She will be presenting her office budget. Now, that's a whole different thing than the K-12 budgets. This is the administrative budget for the State Department of Education. So we'll look for that on Monday. And then Tuesday, another big budget, the higher education budget comes up. So we'll be be back at JFAC uh, bright and early Monday morning and then again on Tuesday morning. All right. We're staying busy. We do think one more month uh, or so, give or take, uh, left in the legislative session. The adjournment is always kind of a, a delicate issue, and the most minor of things could uh, derail the whole process. But I want to take a second before we move on and go back through some of the highlights uh, from our week and, and just kind of consider this the lightning round, Kevin. Right. Yes. Let's pick a couple topics and uh, that we think are, are worth revisiting, but maybe we don't have the time to uh, to fully unpack. But our Eastern Idaho reporter, Devin Bodkin, did a great report Uh, about school safety programs, school safety initiatives in Idaho, and how some of those plans basically include the arming the teacher proposal uh, that President Trump has been talking about following the the horrible school shooting in Florida last week. Right. It's a very good report, very good roundup looking at what's going on in the state. A few districts and and charters have done what is being talked about, the idea of uh, arming teachers or arming school staff. A lot of school districts are not as eager to do that and have uh, adopted other safety measures. This is 
the national debate right now in education. And it's tragic that we're having this national debate, but it is the times we're living in. This is going to be a topic that we're going to be watching very closely in the months to come. But Devin does a really good job of kind of giving you a sense of the landscape on this issue right now. And a lot could change. School districts and charter boards are going to be having this conversation in the weeks and months to come. That's, That's unavoidable, and unfortunately that is where we are as a country and where we are as a school system. This is a pressing issue. It's a great story. We published it on on Thursday, February 22nd. If you want to go to the homepage and scroll down, the headline is Idaho schools use a range of safety protocols, including guns. Uh, It's a good report, and it's something that we will continue to follow, and I know Devin will continue to keep his eye on. Let's shift to a a lighter, wonkier thing that happened this week uh, in the House Education Committee, how one little digit in a bill number caused a problem. You were on top of this on Thursday and Friday, what what happened here, and, and what happens next? Sure. Basically, the House Education Committee on Thursday voted to pass a bill that, through an unintentional typo, did not appear on the agenda. Uh, and so this gets a little bit wonky, uh, but basically, uh, the Idaho Open Meeting Law, a section of Idaho law, requires that governing bodies and public agencies have to do a couple of things. They have to first post public advance notice of a meeting, Mm -hmm. when and where it's going to take place. So you know when a government agency is taking something up, you can read the agenda and know what's happening. Yeah, and along with that, they're required to post an agenda. And the agenda is required to list the different topics that will be discussed and all the possible courses of action that could come during that hearing. Through an unintentional typo, the House Education Committee uh, put on its agenda that it was going to consider House Bill 556. What happened, though, was they were supposed to consider House Bill 566. So they transposed one digit there. Uh, The wrong bill was on the agenda. I went up to Chairwoman uh, Julie Van Orden, a Republican from Pingree, right after the vote, and I asked her if she noticed this or if she made a move to correct the agenda in time. Uh, And she said no, that she hadn't, but she would look at the issue and consider taking it back up. Today, Friday morning, we were watching the House floor uh, basically being gaveled into the start of its business, Mm -hmm. and Chairwoman Van Orden stood up and in front of the entire legislature said, I'm going to ask for your permission. We made a mistake. I want to pull this bill back to my committee so that we can provide proper written notice to the public, and we're going to do the vote over again. And I want to ask permission of the Speaker of the House and the other members of the House if we can do this. And nobody objected. And so I really, it's kind of an unwritten rule that journalists do not provide an opinion on the things that they are covering and writing about. And I'm about to break that rule, and I'm going to tell you why. Is because as reporters, we really value openness and transparency in government. We really value the Mm -hmm. Idaho Open Meeting Law and the Idaho Open Records Act. It allows us to basically do what we do for a living and report back to the public and the taxpayers what your government is up to. So I want to salute... Representative Van Orden for standing tall on this issue, for making Mm -hmm. a move in favor of transparency. Um, This wasn't done on purpose. This was an accidental typo. Um, Nobody was really talking about this except for me, but I want to salute Representative Van Orden for acknowledging that there may be some confusion on this, that there was a slight unintentional error made, and for doing the right thing. I think it It's a small thing. It may be hard for some people to understand. It's in the weeds. 
I think it's vitally important, and I think Representative Van Orden stood tall today mm -hmm. and deserves to be saluted. And, and, and this is what the open meeting law allows government agencies to do. I mean, this is not about uh, fines. It's not about right. you know anything like that. And that's not where we come from as, as journalists. We want to make sure that the process is being done properly, uh, that the public's interests are being represented properly, and that the public has a, a, a full and transparent view of what's going on. The law allows government agencies to do exactly what Representative Van Orden did today, to kind of declare a do-over, ask to do, you know, ask it to take another run at it to, in the language of the law, to cure the mistake that was made in the first place. That's what she moved to do. That's what the committee will be working on uh, at some later date. So uh, amen to what you're saying, Clark. I mean, she did do the right thing here, and that's really what we ask of government agencies, and that's why we often find ourselves at odds with, uh, with school boards, with school districts, if we feel like the process is not being carried out to the letter, because the details do matter. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a good, strong, uh, feel-good note to end on. It was a busy week, a lot going on. Uh, head over to IdahoEdNews.org. Uh, more stories this week than we have in, in, in normal weeks, and so you can, if you want to get caught up on anything that's come out of the State House. Uh, we also had uh, news from around the state. We've had some coverage of uh, Superintendent Ybarra's office and how she's conducting some of her accountability meetings uh, behind closed doors this week. Uh, we get into right. that this, this a little bit. This is the bit. flip side of transparency, right. unfortunately, and that story is up, and you can see what that's all about and who's on this committee and the, the work that the committee is doing. It's important stuff, but it's being done behind closed doors. Sure. We'll be back next week, uh, a full week of coverage from the Idaho legislature. Yeah. We'll kick it off with budget hearings uh, in the first half of the week. I'm going to be checking out a new remote testimony project that Chairman Van Orden uh, is working together with Representative Troy. This is another move for transparency that's basically going to allow residents in six different Idaho cities, including Idaho Falls and Moscow, uh, to testify using video conferencing technology. It's a cool program. They're going to test it out Monday. If you would like to coming, take... And they're coming right out of the gate with an important, um, you know, a potentially controversial bill about firearms training, firearms training courses in the schools. That's going to be one of the bills that they're, that they're taking remote testimony. Oh, Absolutely. That's one of the bills up for testimony Monday. If you want to find out a little bit more about that, I wrote about that Thursday. You can also head to the legislature's website, which is www.legislature.idaho.gov. Click on the links to the remote testimony pilot project. And if you want to sign up and have your voice heard at one of these regional testimony centers, you don't have to travel all the way to Boise on Monday morning. You can do it at one of six regional locations, but you do have to sign up prior to 9 a.m. Sunday, prior to 24 hours before the hearing uh, to make sure that we can get the schedules coordinated uh, and, and have a, a, a plan for calling on people and recognizing the proper people on Monday. My article kind of explains how that works. There's a video tutorial that Representative Van Orden and Representative Troy have put out giving folks guidance if this is going to be their first time testifying. But we're going to follow that Monday. That could really open up the legislative process to people from outside of Boise and the Treasure Valley. So that will be one that we will be watching mm -hmm. next week as well. Thanks so much, as always, uh, for tuning into the Extra Credit Podcast and for following our stories. We have a lot of fun. Uh, the legislature is a busy time for us, and we try to break it down in ways uh, that folks can understand and also to illustrate uh, the importance, why it matters, what the legislature is doing. So we always strive uh, to deliver on that. But as always, thanks so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.